Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to you all online. And we are under the overwhelming impact of the coronavirus right now. So was greeting people at the door this morning. This is the way we greet now, okay? So elbow to elbow, make you feel like uh, you're still a part of the family. That's happening. We uh, want to take a moment, though, before we jump into our boot camp family challenge, is we just want to kind of talk about how it's having such a huge impact on our society right now. And it's really uh, influencing shopping habits right now. But more than that, there is a lot of concern about this. And I I thought it'd be good to kind of have a little perspective and then kind of tell you where we're coming from as a church. And the key is on the one hand, our goal is to love our community, support our community, follow what the community is trying to do that's best for the community. We always want to we always want to, you know, figure out what that is, what the smart people are getting together deciding and try to support that and participate in that as much as possible. Whereas at the other side of it, we still want to be the church. We still want to minister to people. We're going to go where other people won't go. We're going to help people who are in need where nobody else wants to help them. And so our goal is to try to figure out how to do that in the best way. But let's gain a little perspective really quickly about this, and then that helps us make really good decisions, I think, because wisdom is about knowledge and experience. Well, if you go back just 100 years, in 1918 was the Spanish flu, which was actually H1N1. It was a derivative of that. And it says that there's an estimated between 50 and 100 million people died from the Spanish flu. So it was massive, a massive amount of people. It really struck the young, really hit them hard. Uh, The next big epidemic or pandemic that was really massive, uh, somewhere around 25 to 30 million people died, was HIV AIDS. And it actually started in the 20s in sub-Sahara Africa, but it didn't really become prevalent, really hit Western countries until the, the 80s and then into the 90s. Uh, during the 90s, there was a really um, a tremendous amount of fear about it. They, they didn't know how it was being transmitted. You know, they, they didn't really know much about it. And so people were uh, uh, social distancing, People weren't using public restrooms. I mean, there was a lot. For those of you, if you remember the 90s, it was a big, big deal uh, until you learn more about it. Uh, just so that you know, kind of the heart of our church is that most people were, at that time, there were, there were even a lot of churches that were restricting various populations from coming to church and worship out of fear over, you know, like, like this demographic, yeah, please stay home, don't come. They just didn't know. Our church was the first church in the nation and the first church in Idaho that actually had a conference on HIV AIDS. And we brought in experts to just say, hey, can you kind of educate us on this? Because we don't want to make decisions out of fear. We want to use as many facts as possible. And so I was really proud of the church for doing it back then and hosting that. People, And we learned so much uh, because we were willing to do that. 
Uh, since then, since the late 90s, though, the biggest worldwide pandemic uh, hit in 2009, and that was uh, H1N1, the actual mainstream. It was known as kind of a combination of the swine flu and the bird flu. Uh, 150,000 to 500,000 people worldwide passed away because of that one. Uh, in the United States, 4,000 people died from this flu. Uh, the typical flu in the United States averages between 35 and 40,000 people who pass away because of it each year. And so I think it's important to know these numbers because these, and the reason I bring this is these are things that we faced before and we've navigated them. So I think it's very important to understand that we can face this and we can navigate it. I mean, it's possible that we're gonna be able to navigate through this and we're gonna figure out what we can and can't do. All the precautions out there right now that... Uh, counties and states and even our federal government are taking are predominantly designed to do something called flatten the curve. That's the main reason why, because it's a virus. Uh, it falls into this category that everybody is going to be exposed to it eventually, and uh, many people will get it. Uh, the thing they want to do is they, they're trying to slow down everybody getting it all at once. And the reason why is because their theory is that when everybody gets it at once, you have a very steep bell curve, right? It's very steep. And the problem with a steep bell curve is that there's a line that says, we only have in our hospitals this amount of capacity. So when everybody gets it at once, there's a certain percentage of those people who are gonna get really severe symptoms. And if they're hospitalized, they'll survive. If they're not, then your death toll can go up. So what they wanna do is they wanna, they wanna flatten the curve by slowing it down, and what that does is that kind of keeps all of the severe cases underneath that level of capacity, healthcare capacity. And so that's what the health department, the governor, and all these people are getting together, and they're constantly talking about. They're trying to get uh, hospital administrators and uh, people to figure out how do we increase capacity. Now, one of the things that they're, they're concerned about is the number of ventilators, because people uh, it, it, it's a virus that does attack the lungs. So it's, uh, so it's an issue there. Now, one of the things that's really important to understand about this is that uh, uh, 34 years ago when I was ordained in the ministry is that what I did is I signed up to serve God and I signed up to serve God in any and all situations. And so over the past 34 years, I've gone and seen, seen a lot of people I've seen people who were sick and dying with things that were very contagious and people who weren't. And I've always felt that the purpose of what God called me to do is to go and be his agent. And now that doesn't mean you act irresponsibly and you don't take precautions, but it does mean that the overriding driving mission for me personally is to follow the call that Christ has in my life. And so I say that to you so that if you're a person that you need a place to go and you need a place to worship. If you're watching online and you need a place to go and pray, you need a place to pray. As your pastor, I'm not going anywhere and I'm gonna be here for you no matter what. And if you get it and you're sick, I will come and I will pray with you. Uh, if you're in quarantine, they won't let you, you can put your, your face against the glass and I will lay my hand, whatever we need to do, Okay. We're, we're going to pray, for, we're going to be here for you, and 
what we're going to be as a church is we're going to help people navigate this, and we are going to be a light shining in the darkness. And the worst thing to do is to face challenges, to face difficult times out of fear. You know, you want to you want to think clearly, and you want to be calm, you want to be at peace, and you want to be wise. So our goal as a church is is to do that. And so everything we've been encouraged to do is just kind of have bright lines. And that is, is that, well, when this happens, then we should probably do this. When this happens, we should probably do this. When this happens, I explained all this in the video. We have links for it. You can go to our website and download that stuff and know what those bright lines are. But I do want you to know that one of the missions of Foothills Christian Church has always been, I've said this for 20 years, and that is no matter how big the church gets, it should always be small to you. It should always be small. And that's why small groups and everything is so important. And I think one of the great things about um, uh, our church right now is that we're gonna be able to keep having worship services, uh, even if something happens and the state says, hey, you, we want to limit sizes of groups of people together because like in our auditorium, you know, we're just going to, we're going to take out chairs and it in seats less than whatever the threshold is so that we can still keep going and, and comply. We want to be great community members. We want to support the community. We want to help the community do what it's needing to do. But at the same time, we still want to be a place that every week, I'll be here, or Pastor Harv will be here, someone preaching the gospel of Christ so that you can grow in your faith and you can have a place to pray, a place to take the Lord's Supper. You can have a place where you know that people are walking side by side with you because that's what the church is. You can't cancel church because the church is people, right? It's people. It's not a building or an event. So we are here for you and with you, all right? So God bless you with all that. I hope you got that online. So uh, just so that you know, uh, Easter Fest is coming up, and this is a really great graphic. It's on our website if you're watching online. And we're gonna try to do four things to just celebrate the resurrected Christ. Uh, the, the Easter Fest is contingent upon whatever the state is doing at the time, but we're gonna zoom ahead like, like uh, there's gonna be a massive outflowing of healing and wellness in our nation. And people are gonna go, yeah, it's time to get out and celebrate and this will fall in the perfect time for that. So I always move forward with hope. Um, one of the things that's really important to understand is that uh, uh, some of the protocols, you're gonna see a few different things like the way we do communion, we're not passing baskets, things like that. This, this place is cleaner than it's been in 21 years. It's been fumigated. It's been sterilized. It's had alcohol. It was baptized in hand sanitizer. Um, you know, it's been annoying. It's everything. This place is just super, super clean. And don't forget that the new way to greet and love people is, you know, the elbows. I just wanted to still have a personal touch, you know, for you. But uh, we're doing that. So uh, please take this with you and uh, look at that. Uh, giving is through the app. Now, um, this is a great time. We do have giving boxes out there, uh, but uh, get, if you go to the new app, we have a brand new app. It's really exciting. Uh, there's a lot of really great things on there in this new app, and um, uh, I'd like to talk about that just real quick before I start preaching, and that is just that um, I think that they came up with something up there that I can show you. It's up there. This is now a dynamic app, and everybody can see it, and if you Touch that little tiny button on the bottom there that says Sunday. See how that button is orange? 
for you guys at the very end of Sunday. What it does is you will go there and you will see that you can get uh, the watch the live stream or you can get Boot Camp Family Challenge notes. So if you already had the app on your phone, it automatically updated if your uh, updates are automatic. Uh, but you can go there and get the notes. So all you do is you go to the new screen. Um, that's what will show up. So then what you can do is you go to Sunday. And on Sunday, when you click on that button, it'll kind of, they're re-showing the little video there. But when you click on Sunday, it'll look like that. You go watch live. And then you see notes. You just tap on notes. And then it'll have boot camp family challenge, one, two, three, four. You click on four. And guess what? There are the notes for today's message right there. So everybody watching online, boom, that's for you. There's even fill in the blanks. You can tap on a place, add your own notes. And then at the bottom when you're done, it says save my notes. You click on that and you can email it to yourself or you can save it to your, your, your stuff. And you can go back and you can study. You can do devotions on it. You can go back each and every day and listen to the message. I, I, uh, I prefer that you were listening to it probably four or five times a day, each day, five days in a row, because that would really help let it sink in, you know, kind of a thing. But no, I'm joking. You can just go have that for your... That's just a powerful resource. Um, all of our small groups are meeting all of our prayer groups are meeting, and the elders are working on live prayer during our streaming services. So if you're streaming and you're watching, you'll be able to uh, 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 call in or type in or text in, and then an elder right there will pray for you. So we're getting that set up. Hopefully, we'll have that running by next week. So let's jump into Boot Camp Family Challenge, and we're going to try to help whip your family into shape. We've been having challenges each week to help you do specific things that make a huge difference in strengthening your family and navigate this world. Today, we're going to talk about the parenting challenge. And I want to start off by talking about today, becoming a parent is probably one of the most anxiety-ridden experience of your life. I mean, I look back when I became a parent, and I think of all the things that we had to deal with. We had to, we, we got there, and we had to meet with a nutritionist and a lactation specialist you know, and I was like, what's that? I found out. Um, so we did that, and then we took our child, Zach, you know, home. He's 25 now. So we took him home. Well, well today, it's gone from you meet with one specialist, now you got to meet with 10 or 12, right? They have diet. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And they give you all this uh, brochures and all this data as a new parent, right? And you're walking out with all this information. You're going, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And then you have all these decisions that you got to make right? Like uh, uh, immunize, not immunize. When do I immunize? When do, when, when do don't immunize? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And then you got to think, okay, what are we, are we going to nurse? Are we going to use formula? People are saying, do this, do that. Everybody has opinions, all that. There's like, okay, uh, when are we supposed to, how are we going to sleep? You know, do we have the baby sleep with us in the bed? Do you do it on a mat by the floor in a crib in a separate room? How do you do that? We got to make all these decisions. Oh my goodness. For us, when we brought Zachum, we were thinking, okay, right, there was a huge thing coming out back in when he, he was born there in the 90s, early 90s about SIDS. And so everybody had all these theories about sleeping on the stomach, sleeping on the back, sleeping on the stomach, sleeping on the back. It's just like, you know, if you do this, you're gonna, you're gonna, oh my goodness, it's the worst thing in the world. And so we didn't know what to do. So eventually somebody said, well, just sleep on the side. And then that way, neither one. And so we scoured the Walmarts and the Targets and everything until we found this little foam thing, you know, that you could set up and you could set the baby in there and it slept them on side. So this is why Zach is lopsided is because he's had to sleep on his side as well. No, I'm just joking. Got to get that out there. So 
What's so funny is we bring him home, and, and this is how much anxiety you have as a new parent, because nobody ever tells you how much you're going to take responsibility, that feeling, you know, and you have a child that's overwhelming. And so the first thing is like for that baby, you gotta get the baby to, to sleep and to calm down. And Kim, you know, was doing all this stuff, rocking him. He was fed, he was rocked, clean diaper, all that kind of stuff. The room was a perfect temperature, you know, the night light set just perfectly. And so she gets up and that first night she puts him, you know, in that little thing on the side, you know, and we kind of, and he's, he's, he's sound asleep. And so then she comes in and I'm sitting, I'm not sleeping, you know, I'm, I'm in our bed and I go, what's going on? Uh, what's happening? She goes, shh, you're always so loud. Don't be so loud. And she's like, what do, we, what do I do? What do I do? And she goes, I think I got him to sleep. Everything's good. So we're, for five minutes, it's perfectly quiet. And I lean over and I go, do you think he's okay? I don't hear anything. And she goes, I don't know. Should we check? So I get up and I do my ninja walk in there, you know. And so I get there and I'm peeking up over because I go, what do I do? I don't know. And he's, he's just so, that baby's just so quiet, perfect, not no, no moving. I wanted to kind of poke him just to see if he was still alive. But then all of a sudden the baby goes, and I go, okay. And then so I sneak out. I mean, you do everything to get be quiet. And as soon as they're quiet, you go, something's wrong. <laughs> I mean, all the anxiety of being a parent, I mean, all the decisions you have to make. You, you go into the, the, the market today and it's like, oh my goodness, do I, um, there's, there's carrots, now there's organic carrots, you know? There's non-GMO, non-gluten, non-endorphins, uh, uh, non-antibiotics, uh, uh, broccoli that you can buy. And it's like, okay, do I buy the normal broccoli or do I buy the organic non-GMO broccoli? Do I, what do I get, you know? And when do I do it? And when do you feed them, you know? I mean, when I was growing up, it was a hot dog and Cheerios, man. That was it right there. Um, so I can understand how much pressure that you are as a parent. And all the decisions that you're hit with can create so much anxiety. But what the Bible has taught and what every child psychologist has shown to be true is the most important thing that you will ever do for your child is help them develop their character. Their character is the most important thing. Their nutrition is important. Their activity is important. Uh, their pursuits are important. But all of those things are secondary to their character because character is the number one thing that will help them navigate the difficulties of this world. Character is the number one thing that will help them overcome the obstacles. Character is the number one thing that will keep them from poor decision-making. Character is the number one thing that will give them a sense of self-worth and value. Character is the number one thing that will not only help them navigate, but it will bring about opportunities for success. Character is what allows people to have healthy, loving relationships. It is character that allows people to be good parents. It is character that allows people to start companies, stay the course, and become successful. It's character, character, character. So the most important thing that you could do is focus on developing the character of your child. I want to read Proverbs chapter 22. It's in the notes on the app. You can also get these notes on our website, you can also get the challenge at the end of this message from the website. Proverbs chapter 22, verses one through six says the following. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. 
The rich and the poor have a common bond that the Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor of life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse, but he who guards himself will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the first question is, what should you train your child up in these things? That a good name, your reputation, is more desired than great wealth, okay? The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is maker of them all. What does that mean? Well, that means is that we all start out the same, right? We all are given life. We all start off. We all maybe have uh, different family lives and different things. But in the end, it's the prudent who sees evil and hides. The naive go on and are punished for it. And this is a aspect of character. See, we all start off with life, but people end up in different places. Why? Because of their character, you see. And he goes on to say that if your character is filled with humility, which comes from a fear of the Lord, guess what? You, will, you can possess riches, honor, and life. But thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. And he who guards himself is gonna be far from them. How do you make good decisions and guard yourself from the pitfalls and the potholes of life? Well, you do it by training. And that means developing, excuse me, your character. So the first fill in the blank on the worksheet is this. When you focus on a child's comfort over their character, your child's character will be undeveloped. Now, it's very understandable why we do this. And that is, is when you bring that baby home, what is your number one goal as a parent? Is to make that baby comfortable. See, that baby is 100% dependent upon you as a parent for every single need, okay? Every single need to to just be fed, to be changed, to be healthy, to be kept alive. 100% of your attention and focus is on that baby, right? But something happens at about nine months, 12 months, 18 months, where you need to shift from my goal is only to make this baby comfortable to I need to start developing character, right? You need to work and start making that transition early on. If you don't, you will stay in the, my job as a parent is to make you comfortable. And so when they become two and they start understanding that they have a will, what do you do as a parent? You become a permissive parent. And then when they're six, what do you do? Whatever they want, you become a permissive parent. And then when they become teenagers, it's too late. And you're going, wow, this is not good. So at some point, you have to shift from my goal is to make you comfortable to developing your character. And now they overlap, but you want to kind of slowly shift more and more towards character development. The Bible says a prudent person sees evil and hides themselves. And character is the eye that sees evil. Character is the eye that navigates good decision making. What's happened today is that most parents are creating underdeveloped character kids, which become underdeveloped character middle schoolers, which become underdeveloped character high schoolers and young adults. The reason why is because of what is known as bifurcation. What has happened is a bunch of child experts out there have spent all their time saying, oh my goodness, this is bad. Extreme poverty is bad. 
Oh my God, super bad nutrition is, is just horrible for kids. Uh, when you, you know, this is bad for kids, this is bad for kids. And so what has happened is people are like, oh my goodness, I don't want my child to ever feel like, like they're not important. So then a parent can swing the pendulum the other way and go, so I'm gonna give them whatever they want. You see how that, what we have to say is that, okay, guess what? Two things can be true at once. You're right, extreme poverty, extreme neglect, abandonment, ignoring children, that's bad. But guess what else? Entitlement, bad attitudes, a lack of respect, a lack of ambition, undisciplined behavior, low emotional quotient, an inability to connect with other people, low educational performance, inability to work hard, set goals, those are all bad things as well. And those things come when we don't focus on developing character. It happens when parents give children too much, letting children get away with too much and not holding children accountable for their own decisions. Here's a lie that will break your heart. Here's a lie that will break your heart. The lie that kids will just one day get it. The kids are just gonna grow up one day and have it. You see, here is a philosophical premise that I wanna share with you. So please put on your thinking cap for just a moment. And that is, in Western civilization for a very long time, it was influenced by an unspoken principle of Christianity. And here it is. God values you. God values you. And what God, God does is he loves you. You are important to him. But there's a problem with you. There's a problem with you. And the problem with you is that called sin. And so Jesus came to die on a cross that you might be healed from its effect in your life, which is death and destruction. So that unspoken premise was a worldview that all things like integrity, like honesty, like hard work, like responsibility are not things that naturally happen within a person. They must be taught, encouraged, and developed. But in the 50s, there was this massive shift, particularly in America, and it was this, that all kids are perfect, and it's society that makes them bad. Now, I don't understand the logic of that because, okay, if you start perfect and then society makes you bad, then how did society ever get bad? See, there's, it's a logical inconsistency. But what happened is it was like, if you just get out of the way, there's a lot of books in the 70s written on this. Your children would grow up and be perfect. And so that's why we've seen these generations of, of young people struggle with their place in this world because they were raised under a false premise. Instead of a biblical worldview, it was a secular humanist worldview. So here are the most important character traits that you need to work on developing in your children, okay? and they're on the notes sheet in the phone app. Number one is clear beliefs and convictions. There should be clear beliefs and convictions. This means, do they know and follow God? Number two is, do they know themselves? Knowledge of who you really are is really, really important. You know, if, if your sense is, I'm perfect and I deserve to be happy and I deserve everything in the world, then you're gonna go out and you're gonna be really heartbroken when you find out the world doesn't work that way. 
When you do know yourself and that is, you know what, I can really do well and I can really perform well, but I've got to apply myself. I, I got to discipline myself. So sometimes I don't like to follow through. Uh, you, knowing yourself is really important. Knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. Okay. This is really important. Confidence. Confidence is this capacity sense that I, I, I know that I can do this. I may not know the answer. I may not have ever accomplished this, but I, I, can, I know that I can figure this out. There's a sense of confidence. And that leads to integrity. You see, integrity is, man, it's best to be honest. It is the best policy. And that gives you perseverance. You know, I can persevere. Everything's not going to come my way. I manage my expectations. But perseverance and grit keep working. It's very, very important character trait. Compassion for others. If you are raised and you have, if you're a young person that has a very entitled mentality, this is gonna really stop you from being compassionate towards others. And the reason why is because when you're not getting what you want, you think it's everybody else's fault. Well, you know what compassion is? It, it's valuing everybody else. I not only have value, but so does everybody else. They all have equal value like me. The next one is competence. And this is where your purpose in life comes from. And that is, if I'm competent in something, my self-esteem grows. If you focus just on self-esteem, it doesn't grow. But if you focus on competency, guess what happens? Esteem, competence, purpose, all develop. So how can I help you today in a very practical way develop these things in the life of your child? So let's begin. I just want to share with you probably three or four major things, all right? Number one is the best way to develop character within your children is in the context of love. It is the foundation of all great parenting. When a person is a parent and they love, they are going to create a foundational context where that child can grow into who they're intended to be. Now, what's interesting is it's not about how we define love, but by how God defines love. You see, when we define love, uh, what happens is we can love in an unhealthy way, and that models unhealthy love to kids. And then they love in an unhealthy way, and then they really struggle. Have you ever worked with or dated somebody who was a narcissist or really selfish. Boy, it can be a very painful experience, can it? It's very painful. Now, why are they that way? Why are people narcissistic or extremely self-centered? Well, they lack the character trait of love. To them, love is simply getting what they want when they want it. That's how they define love, but that's not authentic love. In 1 John chapter 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. So who defines how we love as parents? Well, God does. You see, God is the source. Love can be taught. It can be exemplified and modeled and instilled. And it happens over a long period of time in the life of a child. Why? Because love is a very abstract thing. It's very abstract. And so kids don't even develop abstract faculties until they're seven, eight, or nine years old. And so teaching love is something that you do over and over and over again. But how do I love? Well, I, I don't love by just giving kids whatever they want. 
You know, you set limits. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So where does love come from? It comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 9 says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, and this is what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what he's saying is that, look, who's gonna model love for you? Jesus Christ. Your source of love is Jesus Christ. Your understanding of love is Jesus Christ. The more you know Jesus, the better parent you will become. And you have to model this. It's very difficult. But like when your children become about three years old, um, you have to love sacrificially. Jesus Christ came and sacrificed. And it's hard. It, it can be difficult. You know, you take your, your child who's three and you go down to Walmart and your child says, look, I want the 300-pound teddy bear that costs $3,000 today. And since they have the belt on them in the cart, you know, they can't get out, you know. And so what do kids do? You know, you say, no, we're not doing that. And they go with those big, beautiful blue eyes, say, mom, I love you, mom because you're developing my character by saying no. I just appreciate you so much, Mom. You're awesome. I'm gonna vote you for parent of the year. Has that ever happened? Or does a kid, I don't know how they do this. I mean, kids can do every yoga pose, but they, they have this belt on, and what do they do? They throw themselves over the side of the cart, you know, and their head is below their feet. And I'm just like, how in the world do you even get in that position? I don't know. And what are they doing? They're going, oh, I'm going to die. I'm dead. Because I don't have a 300-pound teddy bear, right? You know how hard it is to say, okay, we're going to leave our shopping now, and we're going to go out to the cart. We're going to say we're not rewarding a fit, and I'm not taking you back in until you calm down. And if you can't act like a normal person, we're not going back in. We're just going to go home. You know, and you say, I'm sorry, Walmart, that cart full of food, you'll just have to put it back. And that takes a lot of time. It takes a, it takes a sacrifice to love that way. It really does. But that's how you build a context of developing character. You know, most teens who are preteen, sixth, seventh grade, you know what? They care more about what others think about them during that phase of life than they do about caring for others. They, it's a huge deal to them. Well, you're going to have to love your kids through that stage. Children care more about how they feel in the moment than doing what they need to do to feel good about themselves. See, they, they, they focus on that. Young adults, young adults tend to spend time with people that make them feel good about themselves instead of being around people who inspire them to become better people. But that's what character chooses. And when you love your children this way, sacrificially, guess what? you are developing character in them. The second way to really develop character with your ch is to children is to treat them respectfully. And here's what I mean by that. That happens through goals and behavior. First of all, respect your children enough to set the best goals for them. 
One of the things that has to happen if you wanna be a good parent is say, God values you, I value you, so I have high expectations. I've had three children, and I can tell you from experience, you're going to ask your children, hey, could you go out in the backyard and rake the leaves, right? And your child is gonna come in and go, oh, I did my best. It was so hard. You know, I just, oh my goodness, Dad. I'll get an A plus for this one. Can I have four hours of gaming now because I did it, you know? And I go, I know you're 10 years old. Let's go out there. Okay, we have one tree. Our yard is the size of a postage stamp. And you raked up maybe a third of the leaves. And you only got half of those in the bag. So let's, come on. You know, you can do better than that. Go again, go again. So it's like my expectations are you higher. Oh, Dad, I did the best I could on this test. I did the best I could. Well, what'd you get? Well, it is so good. Well, did you study for it? Oh, I studied night and day, 24-7. Well, can you retake the test? Well, yeah, but why would I want to do that? So you can learn the material. So what are, you're going to retake the test. As a matter of fact, at a certain point, teachers are phenomenally great people in Boise. They work with you, and they say, look, if, if you just help your kid do the work, your kid will learn it, and your kid can get straight A's. Up to a certain point, right? Um, you know, comes late, junior high, in high school, there's a little bit of difference there. So, boy, it's a sacrifice to help them do better, right? And there was many times when we had to do that. Now, the other side of it is you don't want to go too far on your expectations where your kid rakes the leaves, they come in and you go out there, yeah, there's two leaves still out there, man. 20 push-ups because you missed two leaves. Come on, get with the program, kid. You're not going to get any, any mercy out there in the real world, so I'm here to beat it out of you. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to go too far that way. See, what I'm saying is love is treating uh, respectfully. And so you have expectations of your children. When you have expectations of your children, you raise confident, competent kids. When you have no expectations of your kids, you develop insecure kids. That's very important to understand. This has been shown to be proven over and over again. Respect also evaluates the words you use when you talk to your kids. As a parent, this is really important. Sometimes what happens is parents will talk to a child and they'll talk to him this way. They say, oh, you do this all the time. You never listen to me. You cannot follow instructions. I don't know what your problem is. Well, you see, that's very disrespectful. Okay, that's not gonna help communicate value to that child. A better way might be, and Kim, our family coach, is phenomenal about this. A better way might be something like this. Say, hey, I explained to you, you know, how I wanted it done and what did you actually do, you know? It's kind of opposite day maybe, you know, that, okay. Well, how, how can you do a better job? Because I know you can do a good job. I expect you to do a good job because you're a person who values doing things well. So, you know, when they're young, you can do that. And through all your chores and interaction with them, you use language. The other side of uh, disrespectful language is when you just ignore and you don't engage and you don't care, right? When you don't set any limits at all. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So respect your kids. Build a context of respect. Watch your behavior and watch your language. Now, the next one is always set limits and boundaries. doesn't matter what they are. Kids need limits and boundaries. This has been proven. The Bible says this, but... 
All research points to the exact same thing. Kids who grow up without any limits and without any boundaries tend to be very insecure adults, okay? And very bad decision makers. They have almost zero impulse control. Boundaries communicate that you love kids and boundaries communicate good decision making. Now, one of the things that I'll share with you just kind of from my own experience is that uh, when you have boundaries, the things that kids want to do is test the boundaries, right? And every time you have a new boundary, they want to test against it. And what, you, what do you do as a parent? You stay consistent, you can bend, you can be flexible, but don't ever break your boundaries. Now, I'm not saying these should be your boundaries, but I'm just saying you, this is what ours were. We had a couple of boundaries, and that is, is when our kids were in middle school, uh, late, late uh, elementary and middle school, they went over to a birthday party, they went over to a friend's house, with it, no R-rated movies. It's no R-rated movies. Um, so uh, the difficulty is that created a lot of awkward conversations with parents of other kids. Yeah, we want your child to come over to this birthday party. You, yeah, okay, then we going to do, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to have these games, we're going to eat cake, and we're going to watch a movie. Oh, really cool. Okay, would you mind if I ask what movie you're going to show? Oh, we're going to watch Halloween. And I was, yeah. Uh, uh, well, when you guys get ready to do that, just let me know. I'll come by and I'll pick up our child because we don't let our kids watch R-rated movies. Now, you know why most people don't want to have that phone call? Because first of all, it's awkward. And the second reason why is because our assumption is that parent is going to go, oh, you are such a prude. What is your problem? And so, you know what happened 80, 90% of the time? A parent would say to me or say to my wife, you know, I'm so glad you said that. I was really uncomfortable with that movie, but everybody wanted to watch it. And, and I said, well, you can blame it on me. Just... I'll take the hit. Just say, well, that crazy pastor who's his parent over there won't let us watch any R-rated movies, so sorry, kids. It's all his fault. I don't care. I really don't care. Blame it on me. All right? I'm fine with that because character is more important to me than anything else, and I'm, I'm modeling for my kids you, you do workarounds, you find creative ways, you do a lot of different things, but you, there are boundaries and limits you just don't cross. Another one in our household was this, and that is uh, we started out doing this, and then we quickly put the kibosh on it for certain reasons, and that is no sleepovers. Unless it's family, you know, like your cousins, no sleepovers. We just don't do it. And so... That has, you know, when kids are young, they don't understand that. But somebody once told me a long time ago, they said, if you're under 18, nothing good happens after 11 o'clock. Nothing. So I'm like, mm, okay, that's a very good point. Um, so, so we just said that. So what we do is they get invited. Hey, they're going to do a sleepover. They're going to, I say, okay, well, you can call us at 11. You can call us at midnight. We'll get in our car and we'll drive over and pick you up. But there's no sleepovers. And our kids, when they're in middle school, is like, oh, you guys are such, fill in the blank, you know, what, you know, oh, you're destroying our social life. Oh, this, that, and the other. And I said, yeah, but that's just, a, that's a boundary and we're not crossing it. We're just not going to go do it. So the first one or two times, guess what? Our kids w pushed against it. But then after that, friends would come up, hey, we're going to get together, you know, we're going to have a sleepover. Yeah, don't even ask. They quit pushing against it. And now, why is that such a big deal? Well, I'll tell you why. Because two of my oldest are out in, their, in the world, they're employed. They're out of college, they're employed, they're working. 
And every time their bosses write a review, you know what their bosses say about them? Their supervisors, their managers, we love working with them. They're not constantly stepping over the boundaries. They're not constantly doing their own thing. They understand instructions. They follow them. They're, they're just awesome people. You want to raise secure kids, set limits and boundaries. Be flexible. Make sure they're age appropriate, you know, um, but be sure to set them. Finally, teach responsibility. Responsibility is learned. It's learned when a child is given the freedom to make a decision and then has to live with the consequences of that decision. So be wise. Don't give your four-year-old the keys to the car and say, here, you better learn how to pay for a car when you wreck it. Okay, that's not wise. Don't give a 14-year-old the keys to your car and say, you need to learn that. Say, well, first of all, you know, you need to take driver's ed. You know, say, well, you need to finish this. Okay, now you're driving. If this happens, you know, and there's, there's a ticket or something, you gotta pay for it. You're gonna have to work for it. Yeah, it's coming. You see, there's consequences. And the problem is, is that uh, there's a concept called helicopter parents. Whenever a kid makes a mistake, the parent is so afraid that that mistake is gonna give that kid a setback. So the parent swoops in and takes care of the consequence so it doesn't hinder the kid. And you know what that does? Hinders the kid. It hinders the kid because that kid never learns that when I make a bad decision, there's a price to be paid. And what that does, there's a consequence. And so what happens is they start to figure out because they're smart, they'll figure it out. And that is, wow, there's a boundary. I stepped over it and here's a consequence. Now, the way you have to do that is you have to explain what the consequences are up front. You have to do coaching up front. But boy, when they come, stick to your guns. Be intentional. Be intentional because character is the most important thing you can develop in your child's life. There's a worksheet challenge that I have for you today that I want you to go home and do. It's not hard. It takes five, 10 minutes as a parent. As a matter of fact, one of the steps in this worksheet is a link to a website where you can actually take a little self-evaluation of your parenting style. It comes from Focus on the Family. It's right in there. It's a link. Go there, click on it. Boom, it'll take you. And it'll tell you how good you are at setting a context for developing character. And it'll help you evaluate what's your next step, okay? And then that worksheet is gonna help you be intentional about teaching character to your kids. So use the worksheet, take it. Let's stand for closing prayer, okay? Thank you, everyone, for being with us online. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. Uh, We're gonna continue to try to hold services in any way, shape, or form that we can because we've called to be the church regardless of what's happening out there, and we're gonna be the people of God in the midst of this uh, generation and what it's facing, okay? And so we're gonna figure out a way to follow our Lord and Savior and be a blessing to our community both at the same time. God, thank you for calling us apart as your people move through us in a dynamic way to fulfill your will and purpose. And God, I pray you bless parents as they struggle with what they are having um, to deal with in today's world and becoming the kind of parents who develop character. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you and keep praying. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org. 